Hey, this is Ross from Smells Like Humans. I found this interview that I did with my friend Caitlin just languishing in the attic. I talked to her about witches and witchcraft, and it's an interesting episode. So you could have a bonus episode to listen to, even though this is technically not the beginning of a new season. In fact, if you would like us to continue, we are in that stage where we're thinking like, do we keep going? Do we do a season four? What do we do with our lives? So hearing from you right now would be really helpful. The email is in the show notes. You can reach out that way, or you can find us on Instagram and message us there. If you really want us to keep going, we need to hear you. We need to hear your thoughts. We need to hear your encouragement. In the meantime, enjoy this episode on witches with my friend Caitlin. You liked knowing that there was an actor who was killed by rope and was a munchkin actor. Uh huh. And was hanging in the background of shots. And you liked it because you wanted your children to look for him. To look for it. To be seen if they could find him. Welcome to another episode of Smells Like Humans. This is the podcast where we explore the curious things that people do, the very human things that grab our attention and cause us to wonder, what and why? I'm Ross, your host, and my guest today is an amazingly talented human who, if they were a rare stamp, they'd be an inverted Jenny featuring an image of an upside-down Curtis Jenny biplane surrounded by a red frame. It's Caitlin. Ayo. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Ever been called a Curtis Jenny before? Never. Well, you should be. Now, we know that many of us are familiar with the fairy tale or the Hollywood notion of a witch. The pointy hat. The broom, the cackling, the ugly face, often doing bad things, evil in the world. But most of us really aren't aware of the real story of witches in the past and in the present. And most of us are not aware that more and more people are deciding to be witches or practice magic spells and many related activities. And I recently shared with you, Caitlin, that I listened to a very interesting podcast called Witch released in conjunction with the BBC, and I'll include a link to the podcast in the show notes so you can check it out. I highly recommend people listen to it if you are like me and didn't really ever investigate all things witch, or even if you know a lot about witches, or maybe you are a witch, but you like to hear more. It's pretty cool. I recommend it. And I've been on a journey. I've been on a journey to Witchland. I have learned so much that I didn't know. Learning about the history of witches, both in this country and in other countries, is an interesting way to explore your own feelings about women's equality and oppression. Mm. I just never thought of it that way before. But you can't do an investigation of witches in the world without investigating how you feel about oppression of women. Absolutely. And it also informs your assessment of where we are today in terms of creating a world of equality for women and by extension other historically oppressed groups. And I'm not saying that you I'm not prescribing you to get to a certain place on this issue. But what's interesting about exploring witches is that you do think about it. You do think about the role of women in particular 
across the centuries and how women have been oppressed. When you think back to your favorite witch from literature or film, which do you have one that you say, oh man, I really liked the witch, even if it was not an accurate <sighs> portrayal, just one that you enjoyed in a movie or a book you read or a fairy tale, anything pop out? First of all, I just want to position myself as uh, a witch enthusiast or perhaps witch curious. You're witch curious. I'm witch curious. That is so great. <laughs> I wonder if we invented that. When I say we, I mean you. No way. I mean, there's, there's for sure an intersection between queer values and narratives and witchery. And so bi curious, witch curious, I do identify as bi and as a member of the queer community. So there's something beautiful to me about embracing my witch curiosity. Uh, I, I don't profess to be an expert by any any stretch of the imagination at all, but I'm excited to be curious with you. I like that. About witchcraft. I'm also witch curious. I'm very curious about it. And I've this podcast really got the juices flowing. Yeah. Did you have like an encounter with like a literature witch or a movie witch or when you were little or some some encounter? Yes. What can you tell me about that? Ursula the Sea <gasps> Witch. Oh yeah, Ursula. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, Disney was pretty good with coming up with those evil characters. There were a lot of evil witches. Yeah. In the early Disney. Now Ursula, that was in Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. Was it called the Little Mermaid or the Littlest Mermaid? The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid. And they've just done a remake of it, which I haven't seen yet, actually, and I really need to. I have not seen it. I did see the original Little Mermaid. Yeah. Um, but the new one I have not seen. Yeah, yeah. And so what was, was Ursula scary? Did you, were yeah. you fascinated with her power? Yeah, the story's from my parents. So I'm watching The Little Mermaid and I'm like three or four. And uh, I was fast, first of all, I was fascinated with the movie and would demand to watch it over and over and over and over and over again. Yes, um, kids do that. Yes. However, whenever Ursula emerged, I was behind the couch. Wow. Yeah. If I remember correctly, she, at the end, morphs into this horrifying monster. Yes. Like, she gets really big. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I mean, it's she's bad enough, and Disney's kind of like, how can we really mess up these kids? Yeah, that's right. Like, we want to <laughs> penetrate their dreams forever. Yeah. Let's make her 500 feet tall and really super scary. And her voice got super, like, more monster scary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what did you make of that as a kid? Did it freak you out? Yeah. I mean, I just remember, like, loving every other part of the movie and memorizing all of the songs and singing along. Uh, but the moment she emerged, it's like, nope, I'm behind the couch. Uh, and you know, sort of peeking over and yeah. going, is it is is she gone? She left yet? Um, and I, I <laughs> to this day, I have an incredibly vivid imagination, and so, um, I feel like those images. I don't really have memories of this, but I definitely I would have been having nightmares for sure. Yeah, like those images would have stayed with me. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's probably true for a lot of people, especially with those Disney cartoons. Because even going back to, I can't remember now, but was it Fantasia where they had sort of a, another like evil? Yeah. They were good at creating these dark, mm -hmm. scary, evil 
characters, even, and even though they were cartoons, they were just magnificently disturbing. Well, of course, the stories, most of the those stories are based on actual fairy tales and like Grimm's fairy tales or, or Ander- I think The Little Mermaid is from Anderson. Oh, okay. And Grimm's uh, children, like those fairy tales are even darker often oh they have yes than the ones that are yeah yeah because they're really the original versions are very dark they are very much representative of like the you know the culture at the time and the lessons they were trying to imbue the folklore like this is how you teach your kids right be be careful right scare the living crap out of them yes beware strong powerful women yes I was just reminded that one of the things I used to do, again, you have to imagine a time where there were no choices Mm. to do anything entertainment-wise. There was nothing. Sometimes you would just sit in a pile of dust. (laughs) I used to listen to a record, a recording of Peter and the Wolf. Oh, yeah. You know, where the instruments are all the different animals. Oh. And yes, and it would always, uh, they played some really scary music for the wolf. Okay. And uh, I would listen to that over and over again, and it's just the music, but and the instrumentation, there's no, there's narration, but it's very, a very light touch. Yeah. And so it's all in your imagination based on, you know, who all the instruments represent because they right. teach you that. And then now when you hear it in the story, as it goes on, it's just all in your imagination. And it's pretty frightening. But I yeah. would listen to that over and over again. Yeah. But anyway, the first witch I was actually afraid of, this will not be a surprise, is one uh, the Wicked Witch and the Wizard of Oz. Oh, yes. And that movie, did you ever see that movie? I did, yeah. So they did some really cool close-ups of the witch. Yes. And she would cackle and threaten. And she was scary to yeah. her. Because I was a little kid when I saw that. And I was yeah. like, whoa, that's Margaret Hamilton who played that part. Yeah. She freaked me out. That makeup they used, it was a whole, it was it was green because there was copper in the makeup. Oh, man. And it left her with like second and third degree burns. Well, I'll tell you why. It wasn't just the copper. It was that scene where she disappears from Munchkinland in a cloud of smoke. Oh, that's right. She's supposed to go down an elevator and then it's supposed to flash. Yes. The special effect was an actual flash. Oh. And the elevator didn't take her down fast <gasps> enough, so she got second and third degree burns because of the flash combined oh. with the copper makeup. And so as a result, she refused to do a scene. If you remember the Surrender Dorothy scene where there's like the the witch is riding a broom and she's spelling out Surrender Dorothy and there's like smoke. Well, that yes. was actual that was an actual human being on that thing. And it was an actual like like hot pipe making that <gasps> smoke underneath this little bicycle thing that she was on. She refused to do that. She's like Forget it. Yeah. I've been in a hospital for three weeks because yeah. of the other stupid thing that didn't work. <laughs> you're hell you're not getting me to sit on a hot pipe right. for this goofy ass scene you're probably gonna cut anyway. So they get a stunt double to do that scene and she was injured and burned. Oh boy. There was a lot of harassment on the set. Judy Garland yeah. said she was harassed. There were stories about that. Hundred percent. The uh Margaret Hamilton was you know, there were injuries, the there are stories about the actors who played the Munchkin people were right. a little unruly. They were a little wild. They would come show up drunk. They were oh boy. not always the coolest people on the set. They also didn't they make Judy Garland? Judy Garland was on a diet of like 
cigarettes and pet pills. They had her on uppers. Yeah, they yeah. had her on uppers. Yeah, that's to, right. They wanted her to be thinner. Yeah. They didn't want her to look... She was 16, and they wanted her to look like 12. Yeah. And so, and there were constant harassment about that, that Ugh. she had the face. I always heard that an actor playing a munchkin, not a munchkin actor. <laughs> not a munchkin actor. <laughs> not a munchkin no. actor, but an actor playing a munchkin. <laughs> yes. Died during the oh. making of the movie. and <laughs> Oh, my God. And I'm laughing just because... I, what I'm about to say, which is they somehow fell and got tangled up in uh, some rope and were in a, there's a scene where they're shown like hanging in the distance, like they're dead, hanging, their bodies swaying. And this was like an urban myth for a long time. What? And one that I told to my kids. And when I had them watching this movie, I say, watch out, look for the hanging <gasps> munchkin. But they never found him. Okay. But I liked it. And I liked it as something I could tell little kids you to look for. <laughs> Sorry, I just need to repeat that back to you, Russ. You liked knowing that there was an actor who was killed by rope a and munch, was a munchkin actor. Uh huh, and was hanging, hanging. in the background hanging. of shots. And you liked it because you wanted your children to look to, for him, to, to look for it, to be seeing if they could the find film. him. Oh my! So about this whole munchkin thing again, there, it's not clear whether. You know, the myth says either it was an accident or suicide, but there's this munchkin hanging in this one scene. Right. And it was rumored that maybe it was just an accident on the set or maybe the person did it uh, on purpose. But it turns out, so this rumor got started in the late 80s when they re-released The Wizard of Oz on tape or okay. something, and it, and it was enhanced in some way. And so this kind of urban myth got started about the hanging munchkin and i was fascinated by it i mean it was exactly it was just what this is exactly what gets me going is this kind of story they explained it by saying no it's not a person hanging in the scene it's a bird oh it's an emu or a crane when they 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 got a bunch of exotic birds from the los angeles zoo to Sorry. walk around the set it's an emu yeah, or it's, it's a crane? It's an emu or a crane in the distance that you're seeing, not a hanging munchkin at all. Emu they, like the flightless bird? Yep. <laughs> okay. And, you know, I've seen it, you know, and it's like, there. it's a bird. It's just a bird. Okay. It's off in the distance. Mm -hmm. It's not somebody hanging by a rope. It's an emu. <laughs> so, you know, it was fascinating to me because that sounds like a cover story. Yeah, it sure does. And one of those kids, by the way, one of the things that they loved doing is they loved, they had a big, they got a giant, big giant witch's hat. Mm -hmm. So they're like two feet tall mm -hmm. and the hat's three feet tall. Of course. It's big. Yeah. And they had a little broom and they would make me recreate the scene right before the Wicked Witch first appears in Munchkinland. Oh. Over and over and over. And I sing the little song. Wow. I change the words because they like, da -da 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 to Munchkin Land. They're all happy. La, yes. la, la, la. And I would say, nothing bad will ever happen. <laughs> and then they would make their appearance as the witch. And then, then I would play all the parts of people being alarmed oh. and screaming. And we would do that. You know how kids just like yeah, to repeat again and again. over and over yeah. and over and over and over and over and over. And over. That's very sweet. So what would you say has brought your attention to witchcraft or what's made you witch curious? Yes. Yeah, about two years ago, uh, I 
was, you know, I was in London and so I was um, very far away from my family. And as the right. holidays were coming nearer, I was just looking for more opportunities to like celebrate. And right. particularly I was getting drawn to like, how can I celebrate the actual changing of the seasons? Yeah. And so I started doing more research to understand the holidays behind the holidays. So pe the pagan holidays, yes. particularly. Yes. Um, and I was also in London, in England, and I am a bit English in my ancestry. And so I was having a curiosity for rituals and um, celebrations, which actually have to do with my um, ancestral lineage. Right. So I started looking up uh, pagan celebrations and made my way to this YouTube channel, um, which if it's okay to shout her out. Sure. Um, this her channel is called The Witch's Cookery, mm -hmm. and it's this wonderful German woman who gives really detailed background on the um, history and folklore behind pagan holidays. And then, like, the thing that really got me into witchcraft in those videos is she described witchcraft as a celebration of magic in the mundane. Yeah. And I was like... That's nice. Oh, that makes so much sense yeah, to me right and was really talking about it being a practice of intentionality yes. a, a practice of mindfulness yes and i already have a long history of mindfulness so to me pairing like my sort of five-year-old childhood joy of like magic <laughs> and thinking about you know witches and magic in the world with um, like and and infusing that into mundane things like cleaning the kitchen or wiping off the counters. That was I was like, that's so joyful. Like I and so I started doing things like, oh, I can think about the process of cleaning up my kitchen at the end of the night as a process of, you know, letting go of the energy of the day, whatever had happened in the kitchen that day, and resetting it for the next. That's such a great example because that's one of the things that I feel like I've learned recently that has really sort of changed the way I think about what a witch is. You know, this basic idea of this ritual process or this process of bringing intention into your life and using it as a way to manifest change in yourself Mm. Uh, change in your environment, connection to your the natural environment that yeah. you're in, and it's and it's. I never really thought about that as what part of what being a witch means or practicing witchcraft or whatever. That it's so familiar and so similar to so many other ritualized practices. Yeah, whatever we call them, whether it's meditation or whether it's a formalized religion mm -hmm. or something else it's it's a pretty it's a pretty common practice that all of us do in some way but this is just a very focused and intentional way and then there's all these self-help books about hey if you want your life to be different first you have to have some intention in your life you have mm -hmm. to think about what you actually want you have mm -hmm. to really make it actionable and then that is what's going to change your life. It's yeah. not just wishing things were better. That's right. And so, I mean, that's, people wouldn't call that witchcraft. They would call it something else. Right. But the, so there's so much overlap. That's what was exciting to me is the overlap between witchcraft and other sort of mindfulness, you know, using your thought process and your specific intention to make changes in your life. First, you've got to see it 
see what it is, right? Be able to say it in a sentence, yeah. So that you say, you know, I want to do X and and Y, and then you have to start doing it. That's right. To make it happen, right? And so it, it just felt very familiar to me, and it just sort of like a light switch went went off about it. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. So that's cool. And so then you so you became curious. You were in London, which is kind of a scary place anyway. <laughs> it's just frightening to be there. It can be, yeah. You know, yeah. they still do Jack the Ripper tours there. They do. This yeah. Is true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, people there, they, they, you know, uh, it's, it's a creepy place, basically. London is a creepy place, <laughs> I think. We're rebranding London, the creepy place. It's a creepy place, but it's a cool place to be on this journey, and... So what kinds of things did you discover? Yeah, so I started, so I, there were a couple of different things I started playing with. I made um, a kitchen cleaning agent from vinegar and oranges and orange peels. Right. And, um, and there was an intentionality infused process to this so i i bought the ingredients and i had a spray bottle and as i was um peeling the oranges and cutting the oranges i was thinking about the kind of energy that i want this cleaning agent to be bringing into um the place where we make our meals and in particular at the time um i was quite tired right from uh, graduate school. So I really wanted something that felt very refreshing. So I was really using this word refresh or renew and thinking about kind of the power that that word holds for me. Yeah. Um, I stuck them all in a jar and I waited for two weeks and I was so excited. Ross. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I've made this. I mean, I've literally made like a magic potion of yeah. sorts. Yeah. And I made like a little sign around it that had the words like refresh, renew on it. And I like decorate it and everything. And I couldn't wait for that two week mark. This was based on a on an internet recipe that I had come across right. for like creating this thing. Okay. Like literally on the day, like two weeks of the day, I like woke up and was like, oh my gosh, it's today. It's today. Like we get to, you know, take out the orange peels and like put it into the spray bottle and I can right. actually use it. So I put it in the spray bottle and was so excited to like clean my kitchen that night and to have this beautiful citrusy scent, like invoking the energy of refreshing, renewing my perspective on things. And I went and I started to spray and it just smelled like vinegar with a hint of orange. (laughs) It was, oh, it was just so disappointing it was different than what you expected it was different i was like i don't want my kitchen to smell like vinegar you know and this the, place stinks right it was just but uh, may may i suggest though <laughs> that that wasn't really the most important thing because mm. in those in that two week period you manifested a certain amount of excitement and joy in your life i did and expectation yeah. and that was impactful i'm guessing for you yeah in those moments and it was the outcome wasn't what you intended or wanted yeah but you took yourself on an experience yeah a magical uh, kind of a quasi magical journey right yeah in your mind yeah absolutely and that i would suggest that was maybe the real gift of it yeah that was the real thing i think that was the magic at work and people you know uh, uh people have magic in their lives all the time we you know we 
sometimes like to pretend we're rational beings in a scientific world, but we're, we surround ourselves with magical things and magical thoughts. Do you have a bag of some props of some kind? I don't know what they are, but I want you to show me what you've got there in your witchcraft bag. Yeah, I brought some props. And she's got a Mary Poppins bag. It's a cloth bag, and she's going to pull out a lamp. <laughs> I'm trying to decide which one I should do first. I'm going to do this one first. Okay. Whoa, crystal? Yeah. Ooh. So I... So crystal-related witchcraft... Not really my thing. I, I have I've read a teeny tiny bit about it, and I personally don't feel particularly connected to rocks in this particular way. Right. And it can be super problematic because often crystals are mined in right. not kind or ethical ways. Right. But this particular crystal was gifted to me by a friend of mine before we left for London. Oh, okay. And she is someone who believes in crystal-related magic. Right. And she put it in my palm, and I'm going to show you and sort of describe it to the listeners, but she put it in my palm, in the center of my palm, and then placed her fingers over mine and said to me, and I'll never forget this, she said to me, this is for protection, to protect you on your journey to London. Wow. And I just thought that was such an incredibly powerful gift. Yes. And so it sat in our London flat. And this is, to me, a great example of how magic works in the world and not the ways that maybe we think. Like, it sat in my apartment. And even though I don't particularly believe in, like, the magic of a crystal or a rock, every time I saw it, I thought about her and I thought about the fact that there's someone in the world who wishes me to be protected and safe. Yes. And I and it, and we did arrive safely. And I just think, you know, that's quite beautiful. And so I, you know, we also packed it up when we left. And I and then as we were leaving, I thought, oh, it's so nice we also have this protection spell for our return journey as well. Yeah, and that, I think that's a really good example of one aspect of witchcraft is that again you're bringing intention to a natural object mm. and it has meaning to you um it it continues to resonate that meaning right and it changes you yeah because it's changing because i would even say that when someone says i'm giving this to you as uh, to wish you a safe journey and for you to be protected then as you see, encounter this in your life, you notice it on a shelf or wherever you keep it, then that message comes through and maybe it changes your behavior in that moment or that day or some choices you make and That's maybe you're right. aware of it, maybe you're not. Yeah. But you're thinking like, hey, I'm on a protected journey. Yeah. And again, some people say, well, that's not magic. And when I was listening to this podcast, some of the witches were saying, yeah, you don't have to believe that you're doing magic if right. you're doing this kind of thing, but it is manifesting change in your life by having these intentions. Yes. I also read that there are people who, you know, make a lot of money selling these crystals online. And yes. the important thing about that for me that I encountered, the idea was you don't need to buy things to be a witch or yes. to experience what it means to be a witch or to look at magic in your life. You don't have to take classes. There's 
you know, things that you have to learn and, you know, be, um, study or be educated about, but it's not necessarily a country club you're joining. You don't have to have right. a lot of money. This, it's, I feel like it's very democratic. Yes. You, anyone in the sense that it's available to anyone. Yes. And you don't have to have a lot of money to do it. And so, and, but so I like the story about this crystal because it, you didn't go out online and buy it no. from Amazon. Someone gave it to you mm-hmm. with a very specific intention and that, and maybe someday you'll give it to somebody else. Yeah. A, yeah. With that same intention or a different one. And won't that be cool? Oh, I think it'd be great. Okay. What else you got yeah, for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now she's reaching into this giant cloth bag and she's pulling out a book. Yes. It, the book is entitled Moon Bath, Bathing Rituals, Recipes for Relaxation and Vitality by two people who I think their names are Dakota Hills, which has got to be one of the greatest top 10 names Great of all time. Great name. And Sierra Brashier. Is that the how she says her I'm name? I'm not sure. How would you say that? Brashier seems right. Where I have been infusing magic in my life most often is through taking baths. Um, so oh. I, I was taking baths before I got interested in witchcraft, but... Um, well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, honestly, like taking a bath was one of the ways I could survive the Portland winter where it gets very, very dark. Yeah, that's an For a long time. I'm not a big bath taker, yeah. but when I do take them, I realize, oh, this is why people take them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they, go they ahead. can be really nice. Um, so... When again, when I was in London, I came across this book in this little store that I just my heart just loves this store. It was so beautiful. And I this was this was a book like I don't know if this has ever happened to you, dear listener, but have you ever like walked by something multiple times and talked yourself out of buying it and it just happens again and again and again and like but it just keeps coming back in your life. And so eventually I kind of got to this point where I was like, book, you keep talking to me. Right. You keep making yourself known. So I feel like I now need to do you the honor of bringing you into my life and hearing what you have to say. And um, so I I bought this book to supplement kind of the baths that I was taking. And it's really lovely. Basically, it tracks, it, it provides these recipes for baths that you can do based on the moon cycles. Oh, okay. So if you have like a full moon in the fall, it'll recommend particular like essential oils and other ingredients to infuse into your bath. Um, Now, you were talking about witchcraft being democratic and you don't need to buy things. I can't afford all the ingredients that are listed in this book. In fact, I I would say I can't afford most of them. Right. But what I like about the book is there's a little write-up at the beginning of each page that's like... This time of year is a good year to be is a good time to be thinking about abundance, areas in your life in which you feel abundant or feel like you would like to invite more abundance. So right. it gives you these little prompts for the intentionality we were talking about. Right. So that's what I've enjoyed the most about it. And um cool. I have encouraged my friends to cast their own spells over their own bath and to think about like your bath or your shower and your connection to water in that moment as a moment for you to um, connect to your intentionality for the day. Yeah. I mean, that is that's such a cool idea. And it's a, this whole th- connection to nature uh, as a fundamental part of your existence and how 
we have been so disconnected from nature in so many ways mm. that we we don't ritualize this very fundamental practice of being in water. Yeah. Which, which is couldn't be more fundamental to the human experience since we emerged from water yes. a few million years ago, right? Yes. As whatever the our precursors were, some kind of scuttlefish or something, whatever we were. Yeah. But we started to just emerge from water. Right. We're water people. We are. We and are, what is it, 70% we are? We're a lot of water. We're, we're made of water. And yeah. we run around, oh, it's raining. I can't go outside. <laughs> Not here in Portland. We, we're, we're, we're no, we're soaked. always outside here in Portland. We're soaked. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's really cool. So that's called moon bath. Yeah. And so people can check that out. Mm -hmm. And you can ritualize your bathing experience connected to the cycles of the moon. And how does, uh, having done this in your own fashion, has it made any changes in the experience of bathing or your after experience? Or does it bring something into your life that wasn't there? Yeah, I feel, um, I feel that particularly one of the most um, profound things that it's done is uh I I now will like so I'll like go into the bathroom and get ready for the bath and if if the day has been particularly busy there's a lot on my mind I'll often bring in like my phone or my laptop or something like okay I'm going to like turn on a show while I'm in the bath or I'm going to listen to a podcast or something Right. But if I do that ritual before I go into the bath like this bath is for my rest or it's for my yeah. restoration notice right. a lot of r words i use a lot of r related witchcraft interesting uh if i do that ritual which like in practicality is me you know um taking a handful of usually epsom salt and just sprinkling it into the bath and thinking in my mind this bath is for restoration that's it it's like very simple then i step into the bath 95% of the time, I don't turn on that podcast. I don't open my laptop. I literally just lay yeah. and I'm there yes. breathing and present. And that is what's missing in a lot of our lives right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, one time you suggested to me um, when we were in actor space, you said, you know, before you start this rehearsal, think about the intention of what you want today, what you want to manifest in rehearsal. And that I've carried that lesson with me into anything I do on stage. Wow. Did it I makes, say that? Yeah. It makes such a difference to like, and I actually wow. have used it in other performance related activities that aren't acting, just things mm. where I'm going to be performing, some, performing something, whether it's music or something else. And it's like, what? What is my intention for today? And yeah. make it a very concrete thing. And sometimes just something like, I just want to be present, yeah, you know, in the moment and and not just in my head the whole time. Right. I really want to be around, you know, be be there for other people. Right. But it's so powerful. It is. And it's a again, it's it's a it it kind of in some for some people, I think if you call that magic. People are either disappointed or they think it's too woo-woo. So don't call it that. But it's just like bringing intention into your life, whether it's taking a bath or performing on stage or going to work, riding right. the subway, digging a ditch for some flowers. You don't dig ditches for flowers. That would make no sense. Why do we need a ditch? You plant a flower, not how, in a ditch. How deep are those roots? I don't, I don't know. know. That's weird. Yeah. That's a weird thing. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, okay. Anything else? Those that are my props. Oh, there were only two props. There's only two props. I thought there might be more oh, props. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I am the third prop. 
<laughs> that is your book title. <laughs> That's your book title. I am the third prop. Interesting. When I think about the history of women, uh, the history of witches being a sort of a story of how women have been systematically oppressed over the centuries because they've been outspoken or they've been different or they have been forced out of the commercial mar marketplace. Uh, however, whatever, what I didn't really realize so fast forward to now i was d listening to a completely different podcast a few months ago and it wasn't about the so-called manosphere which is a collection of online mostly men who um do not like women do not like or resist feminism who are misogynistic who sometimes uh, celebrate violence against women. Yikes. I don't know if you know about this manosphere. I don't. So I hadn't heard about it. And yeah. it was part of a podcast about something else, but they had to kind of venture into the manosphere and explain what it was because one of the principles in the story was connected in some way. Mm. And it was so disturbing. And I remember thinking like, I can't, I've always known there are, there's a few isolated pockets of people who just don't like women and they have issues, whatever. And I just kind of wrote it off. But then I realized how, how expansive this manosphere has become. And that's the official title for it, the manosphere. You can look it up and read it about yourself. Mm. It's, it's because of uh, the interconnectivity afforded to us by social media and the internet in general, these people are a much, you know, have much more communication with each other than they ever have and are supported by each other and advocate for things mm -hmm. and sometimes encourage people to actually act on their feelings. I, I was like, wow, it's so much big. And, and I felt like, where did this come from? And then when I looked at the history of witches, I said, oh, they've always been doing this. Yeah. This is not a new thing. It's not new. There was always the manosphere. Mm -hmm. It was just something, it was called something else. Yeah. And what was interesting is, you know, because a lot of these guys in the manosphere, I mean, again, it, I'm, I'm sure it's much more complex from this, but it just feels like a lot of guys who feel like they've been spurned by women or they've been unsuccessful, like getting their attention or their affection or, or just feeling threatened by women. And it's like, wow, when you look at like the very beginnings, like the witch's hammer and these people going around promoting the idea that some women are bad mm -hmm. and are dangerous, what was at the source of that? And for a lot of it, it was <laughs> guys feeling emasculated by women to the point where, and this is not made up, they believed that certain women were able to take away your penis and that some <laughs> some witches had a nest of penises. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if guys were having trouble performing in the so-called sack, mm -hmm. then there's witchcraft involved. Yeah. And your penis has been stolen. Yeah, right. Now, we call those mannequins today, or Ken dolls. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so it's like, oh, this is this is not a new thing, the manosphere. No, not It just at all. has a different title. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, this is when we're talking about, when we're talking about patriarchy, this sort of broad, systemic, historical oppression. Right. Um, when we're talking about any kind of like broad historical oppression of any marginalized group, it's not, yeah, it's not, patriarchy's not new. <laughs> it and it I, just and, continues to manifest in different forms. And I feel like I was naively, so I, I, I would have 
said yes to that statement that, that we've always had the patriarchy. So I, I, that wouldn't have surprised me. But it's this particular manifestation in current world that I felt like, where did this come from? Yeah. Why Why are these people suddenly feeling this way? And it's like, oh, no, this has always been a thing. Yeah. And if the more you, if you listen to the podcast we recommend or you do some studying on the history of witches, it's very interesting um, to see that, no, this is always, this has been a common thread for hundreds of years where women who are, who have independent, who have opinions, who go against the flow, who are transgressive, who are whatever you want to call it, they are perceived as threats, and they must be stopped somehow. Yeah. My education about what who witches were was pretty much confined to, like, the Salem witch trials and the Crucible, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just like this isolated group of, you know, goofy clothes wearing, you know, those Puritans with their hats and their... Right. And their muskets and their turkeys. Yeah. Like, they're they're goons. Yeah. You know, they're idiots. Yeah. So this is just an isolated thing. Well, of course, I found out it wasn't. But what I didn't really focus on, and I knew that these people weren't really witches. They were just people who were being scapegoated, or they were people who were on the margins of the community. Or they were witches, and or, they were being scapegoated, and yes, or on the margins witches. of community. <laughs> but what I but what I learned, just as a sidebar, was I learned that most of the people who were actually accused of being witches and were murdered for being witches were not actually witches. Mm. So that's kind of an interesting thing. They were just unusual. They were out of the mainstream, or they were opinionated, or they were independent, right? Or they had some sort of. Uh, power, whether it be a healing, they were a healer or a midwife or right. an herbalist, they were seen as unsafe. Yeah, they were, or they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Wrong place at the wrong time. Here's the part that was missing for me that I was kind of working toward, which is these were real people. They were real people. The people that we call witches that were persecuted and murdered, they were real people with real families, with their lives. They had goals and dreams and hopes. Yeah. And they were just literally grabbed up. They were taken through a ridiculous process to prove that they were or were not a witch and these, you know, on these trumped up charges. But then, then they were murdered. And it's really a much worse story than I had thought about. It was much more just to think about, like, the emotional damage to not only a family, but to a community when, you know, that's your practice. Absolutely. And it was pretty stunning to really think about that. And that part really was missing from my childhood, you know, my grade school education about what witches were and how witches were persecuted. Is, oh, yes. by the way, they were real people. And it, and for the most part, their histories were erased. Yeah. Like, it's not like we know a lot about these people because they no. were erased. Yeah. Like, they did not exist. They were to here lies a witch. Boom. Yeah. And they probably weren't even a witch. Right. They might have just been a midwife or something. Right. So I thought that was that was an important. I know it feels so dumb to say it out loud, but it was like really opened my eyes to like, yes, this was way beyond what I thought it was. Yeah. In terms of the tr- the community trauma. Yeah. And the personal trauma that was inflicted. Yes. When you talked about community trauma, the piece that I feel have felt naive about and and becoming very, very real and true for me is the realization that me as a as a person in a female body and as someone who identifies as a woman, 
I carry, I, I, I've now had this understanding that I carry that ancestral trauma. And there are, there are pieces that have clicked for me of like, oh my Lord. So the, the things, the feelings that I have about, um, needing to protect myself, um, even things like cultural norms around people pleasing. Right. And appeasing other people, making sure everyone else is comfortable before I am, letting, right. you know, not centering my own comfort for the sake of others. I now see that as rooted in centuries of ancestral trauma where I was at risk, my ancestors were at risk of literally being murdered if they didn't appease That's the people they were around. Such an excellent point, because I think one of the legacies of this historical persecution of people as witches, whether they were witches or not, is that not only did it create trauma for those people, but you correctly point out, you know, those people and their families and the communities they lived in. But if you are a female living in one of these communities and you see how arbitrarily people are grabbed and blamed and accused and tried and murdered. Right. Even if that never happens to you, that's certainly going to put you on alert Right. Like, I, whatever that person was doing, I better not do. So it creates this legacy of subordination of your own thoughts, feelings, desires, wants, your own right to be a human being, and right. this, to take up space, yes. to have an opinion, to say no, all of that right. becomes risky behavior. Right. You know, to not take a man, to not be with a man. Yes. You know, to hang out with other women is all considered like conspiratorial right. and subversive and you're right. at risk so you have to if you want to live yeah you know if you're out in if you're out among the monsters you change your behavior right and that is uh a distressing yeah. legacy to kind of be mindful about suddenly it's like oh this has been a long long history and it's really hard to change all of those patterns, not only for women, I'm imagining, to change your patterns, but also for men, because there's never been a curative, there's never been the right kind of education experience on a on a systemic basis to help men feel less threatened by women who are just taking up space. Yeah, and this is important, right, because patriarchy sucks for everyone <laughs> no yeah. nobody wins because you know the other there are multiple sides to it and one of the sides to it is that men their men have their own um uh set of unachievable idealistic standards that they are meant to live up to and hold up and hold up and you know you know are not taught quintessential um uh, practices in understanding their emotions and regulating their nervous system, right? In our culture, our culture is like, boys will be boys. Um, you know, and, in, you know, in, if a boy is getting into a fight, it's like, yeah, just like, get it out, man, like, you know, fight it through, but not, oh, are you feeling sad about something? Tell me about that. Tell me about what that feels like in your body. Can you feel the sensations? Can you feel them move through you? Um, and women are, there, there, there is a community of women who, have, you know, we do kind of come together to learn about our emotional well-being and how emotions are processed. But I think that 
that was ne- that was out of a necessity <laughs> after centuries of persecution um, and the buildup of that trauma and stress on our own bodies. So for now, we'll just say thank you for joining us for this episode. As I said in the beginning, I'm not telling you where to end up on this. I just think it's an interesting journey to go on to find out what really is going on, who the witches were and who they were not, what happened to women over that time period, and what were the reasons for it. And I think just going on that journey will be eye-opening for you no matter where you end up. And we hope you will tune into another episode because whether you are witch-curious or just a kid looking for a hanging munchkin, it's important to remember that we all smell like humans. Goodbye, everybody. Witch-curious or just... (coughs) Sorry. (laughs) Or choking to death. Uh, Are we going to need to call someone? No, go ahead. (laughs) Sorry.